Hi, welcome to the Mama Advocate Podcast. This is a safe place for adoptive and special needs mamas to feel less alone and find community amidst their unconventional journeys. Here, you're going to find authentic conversations for me and my guest who are parenting fully in the weeds with you. Our goal is to empower and encourage you to be the best mama you can be as you advocate for your people. Guys, this is such a fun and awful interview all at the same time because if you're listening it's my heart is just I don't do well with the pottying things and so I'm grateful for Kristen that this is her gifting and she's with easy peasy potty training is that right Uh, easy peasy therapy yes I'm an occupational therapist yes and she helps special needs kiddos with potty training and so I'm Kristen I'm gonna let you talk about what you do and I'm gonna ask you a few questions if that's okay Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, So again, my name is Kristen Smith. I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. This is my 30th year um, with a job I love. Um, And about my passion for potty training probably started about 15 years ago when I was um, realizing that a lot of my clientele were not potty trained at the age of five, eight, 10. And I was really looking into why that was. And because as occupational therapists, um, our independence is our end goal. Um, The kids that I was helping and supporting, um, really their employability and their residential facilities, their future was impacted um, and their independence as adults. So I felt passionate that this was something that it was a life skill that needed to be taught and it was something that was um, taught to the families but it was also educationally relevant as well which I have a whole nother I could talk forever about the educational relevance piece but what are our first steps of trying to figure this out how do we get them more independent in you know granting independence is is difficult you know as a parent you know letting your letting them have some wings but you are going to have to especially in the area of potty training um, embrace some of those mistakes and we can go through that when we go through some of my top 10 um, suggestions that I give families but I think the most important thing is when you sense that hesitation um, is not to delay and I think that's the most common I don't want to say mistake, but it's just the most common parental instinct that parents have. Like, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for them to catch up developmentally. I'm going to wait for them to be dry at night, or I'm going to wait for them to catch up cognitively, um, or I'm going to wait for their language skills to come so that they can tell me they have to go. And what happens is, is we're waiting and waiting and waiting, and it just hasn't happened. And then they need um, more support. Um, because it's been a learned behavior then um, where at no fault to the child or the parent is just become, this is the expectation that I've learned. And um, it's hard to unteach some of that. Well, let's hear your top 10. I'm excited about this. Okay. All right. Um, so the, that would be the first one. The first one is don't delay. And um, I would say that if your child is three years old and hasn't, you haven't started potty training, um, that I want you to go to, to start in that direction. And if you need more support from your community, whether that be your therapist or um, your PTOT, um, definitely speech as well. And your child's pediatrician, if you need to reach out to specialists like a dietitian or GI, 
um, that those are great places to start as well. Um, I would, if your child's three years old and someone's telling you to keep waiting, I would question that. Okay. <laughs> um, so the number two, and in my, in my list, these are some things that you can do before you even think about sitting on the toilet. So these are some great foundational things that any parent can do, whether they're ready to get rid of diapers or not. Um, so the second one is, I tell my families all the time, bathroom behaviors happen in the bathroom. So only change your child in the bathroom. Hmm. It really sends a clear message um, in a nonverbal way. It's simple and it's so effective um, that peep and poop, that happens in the bathroom and we take care of those things in the bathroom. We don't take care of them on the, on the bed. We don't take care of them on the kitchen floor. Um, that when we're changing pants and they're um, soiled, we're going to go to the bathroom to take care of that because that's the location for that behavior. Um, and it's that's just, really a, it's just an easy one. So, so put all of your supplies in, in one bathroom or two, depending, I mean, it doesn't have to be one. But just to make it easier on yourself, it kind of forces you to go to that location. Um, yes, it can be a little bit more inconvenient. You could be tight bathroom quarters and those kinds of things. But it really does send a clear message about what's happening, um, what should happen in that location of the house. I really, uh, uh, this is a very big statement for that one sentence, but that's really brilliant. <laughs> I don't, I don't enforce that ever really. And they normally change in their room and then we have this whole routine, but that routine would make so much more sense if they went and did that in the bathroom. It's just, it's so simple, right? And sometimes yeah. we just, sometimes we we're thinking so outside the box with different things that we don't even go back to that basic thing. And that's um, a great place to start for sure. Um, another um, simple thing that I will tell families is to limit the grazing behaviors that are happening. So, and this goes back to my hospital days. I, when I used to work in the hospital, it's always like intake output. We're looking at what's going in and what's going out. And our kids, and just naturally, we tend to let them graze. They walk around with a sippy cup, they have snacks. It's easiest for me to potty train a child with their school and their educational team than it is at home because the the routine for eating is so much more consistent. At school, we eat lunch at this time, then we have a snack, and then we move our bodies at this time. And so I can better predict when a child's going to need to use the washroom, usually at school more so than home, unless you have a really great routine at home, which is so important, as you know, um, that predictability and consistency um, are key, especially when you're doing teaching a new skill um, and a new life skill. I'm not saying you have to do that for the rest of your life, but when you're starting to teach something new, I think it's a really important piece. I, I mean, again, that makes so much sense. And I don't know why I've never thought of that because <laughs> it does all come back out. Um, and so when I, when I think about that, just like the where bathroom behaviors happen in the bathroom, eating happens in the kitchen. And so let's not walk around the house and have snacks and sippy cups in the bedroom. Let's not always be eating in front of the television, those kinds of things. Um, set a limit for how long your child should be at the table eating. And then after that, you're done. You know, you'll have another eating opportunity later. Um, what do you think that limit should be? For eating? Mm -hmm. um, I would say 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. 
I mean, if you're having a family meal and you think your child can sit there for 30, that's a pretty long time, I think, for most, especially children with disabilities. Um, but I would say 15 to 20. Okay. Would be, would be, would be great. Number three, I'm like taking vigorous notes here. Oh, awesome. 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 Um, the other one I say is to stop the potty talk. And this is just really all about communication, how that um, impacts toileting. But one of the things is the negative talk. So the negative connotations that are associated with toileting, um, being dirty, it's icky, it's yucky, it's smelly, it's stinky, um, your mass, you know, a, a child tends to associate all this negativity with bathrooming. And then sometimes you'll have, um, they'll feel that about themselves or and not in a way that you ever meant to, um, but they don't want to participate in something that's yucky and dirty and stinky and smelly either. Um, so I really try to talk about neutrality and keeping all your statements very neutral. Oh, your pants aren't wet. I really focus on wet versus dry rather than dirty or messy. Um, and my goal when I'm working with families is to focus on dry pants. So that's what we really want. Um, instead of like the poop and the peep and all that. So that would be another one too, is language. Um, sometimes um, children with disabilities tend to keep a word and, and hang on to that word forever. So um, poopsies or, you know, some of those cutesy kinds of words that you might have doo-doo bud or, you know, all those kind of cute things when they're three um, may, continue into adolescence even. And I call it planning for the prom. So if you don't wanna see that behavior at the prom or that language come out from your older child that maybe that's something um, you might want to limit. So, and you parents know their children best and um, you'll know if that's, if that's your kiddo or not. Um, but I usually don't call, I try not to say potty even to be honest, I really just say time for bathroom or do you need to use the toilet or those kinds of things. More potty talk would be to limit your language in the bathroom. So when your child's in the bathroom, really decrease all the verbal that's happening. Our kids usually have trouble processing language as it is. And we inundate them with questions. Do you have to go? Do you feel like you have to go? Is it coming? Are you gonna, you know, all these questions and they, they don't know how to answer. And if they do, they're probably going to say, no, um, do you need to go to the bathroom? No, <laughs> I would rather, much rather play with these Legos and this Thomas train. Um, so watch the language. And when you're in the bathroom, I really try to just use a lot of nonverbals, like mm, that kind of stuff. Um, and, um, or I will just point, I'll use a lot of visuals. I actually brought some of my, um, that are available like a, um, and I'll just point and they'll see like, do this. Sometimes that's all I'll say um, because I don't want to have this power struggle in the bathroom verbally. And, and those Smart. kinds of questions are hard anyway. So, um, and then just watch your nonverbals because your nonverbals can tell a lot without saying a word, right? You know, like, you know, if you're angry, they can, they can sense it. Um, if you're, because you're frustrated and it's going to happen and, um, if something's dirty and smelly and yucky, you're like, oh my God, I can't, you know, um, they'll know, they'll know. Okay. So it's hard and it takes practice. That's for sure. It does. Lots of practice. 
it feels like this this little interview is just for me it's what this feels like ah. um, <laughs> i okay what wait what number are we on we're going to we're going to go to um i think we're going to go to five already okay don't delay that's my first one change in the bathroom that's my second one um limit grazing that's my third one and my fourth one is to stop the potty talk and so number five would be to presume competent and this is hard <laughs> this goes back to your original question um to presume competence and to presume something means you're going to expect something with confidence and you're going to assume that something is true even without proof and so what we don't do this with our kids we hesitate and um, the question isn't can my child do this the question is when and how will my child learn this because they will learn it and it's about how my child might not learn it the same way as you know my sister's kids or my best friend's child with special needs my child's going to learn it their own way and how will that look um, and what will it look like um, that's the difference so don't hesitate if you if you're worried um it just may look a little bit different and you might need support from other people to show you you know think outside the box that way how it could look for your child and how you'll teach it because just like teaching math not everyone understands long division the same way we're going to have to somehow teach it a different way um, and that's the same concept number six is um just to use i really want to keep things nice and i'm talking about we're going to the we're going to talk about poop at this point um it keep everything soft because a lot of the kids that i work with um with their from their sensory issues have these beige diets they're eating chicken nuggets rice applesauce bananas that your typical brat diet and um, those are actually all constipating foods those are foods that your doctor tells you to use for your child when they have diarrhea or the stomach flu. Um, but unfortunately, they're they're visually very um, non-threatening foods. And so therefore our children gravitate towards those non-threatening, less anxiety provoking foods. And um, they become very constipated. And I'll say uh, every child is constipated till proven innocent because I um, I really feel like everyone can stand to have a little bit of soft softener in their life. So the best way is to use magnesium um and i would um suggest there's a great one called calm uh, magnesium gummies that i have um in my handout that will be available um it's on amazon um and magnesium is such a great way to soften stool without using any kind of medication products um would miralax and fiber choose kind of fall into that medication category well they're over-the-counter medications that um it's different than a supplement so i would always start with supplements first with like magnesium and then um go to um stool softeners which are um like miralax and um although fiber um can Kind of fall into that in between um mct oil is another supplement that you can add to um like 
melted chocolate, and which is MCT oil is just really a coconut oil. Um, the fatty chains in MCT oil are not as readily absorbed, so they stay inside the colon. So it keeps things kind of slick and easier to pass. So those are natural ways like magnesium, um, MCT oil, things like that, that um, make it easier to have a bowel movement. Um, a lot of times I, I do a lot of education about parents will say, my child's not, not constipated, they poop every day, but they're pooping these little tiny, like, like rabbit turds, I call them. Yeah. And um, that's, that's not, even though they're going daily, that's still constipation. So um, I really like to see the kiddos before we even start potty training, um, having regular soft bowel movements and setting them up for success. Okay. I'm going to take us off track for just a hot second. So we had, mm -hmm. and maybe you'll get to this at what point should you seek medical attention for? So we had one of our little buddies, um, we do fiber, we do Miralax, we do all of these things and he still wasn't pooping regularly, still super constipated. And, um, it, I, I don't remember the medical term for this, but he was so backed up that things were then oozing out all the time and it stuck to high heaven and, Ankle paresis. There you go. Um, and yeah. so we ended up getting little enemies, enemas. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I feel like they saved us. Um, but the look on your face tells me that maybe that was not the best. No, no, no. So <laughs> this is how I feel about that? those products. Never. I, I feel like Miralax is like, to me, like insulin. If your child needs it, do not deny them of that because their natural body makeup um, is that they may just their their body just may be absorbing a lot of water and Miralax just keeps the water in the colon and that's great and I I feel that if that's what they need that's what they that's what they need and it's what I need personally and I keep using it um, <laughs> because that's what works for me um, and so again with your child don't worry about what your sister's doing with her children and don't worry about what your best friend's doing. Um, if your child needs Miralax, use it. But there's a lot of parents that want to try a different route first and that's understandable. I try to avoid, um, because I feel like now there's a lot more things you can do before I go the animal route. Um, but for some, that's what you need because the most important thing really is to keep um, the rectum from overstretching, I kind of yeah. teach it that it's like a purse <laughs> and your purse can only hold so many things. And then um, the, the weight of the things in your purse or the baggage <laughs> needs to come out. Um, and that's the, how our brain gets that signal. If our children are withholding or they're constipated and now I have a suitcase full of baggage, um, it takes this much for the signal to go to my brain to know. And then the, the suitcase, kind of stays, the purse stays stretched out. And then um, it always takes that much more to fill before your body tells it's the brain it's time to poop. And so using an enema and using Miralax and having your child be regular um, will help shrink that soft tissue, you know, the musculature down. And then um, that can take a long time though. That could take almost a year for that to happen. So, um, it's a slow process, but it's important. So I guess my, my, the long and the short answer is 
yes, you can use them. Use whatever your child needs okay. um, to keep that to keep that rectal size small, and so that they're going regularly. Don't feel any guilt for that. Um, there, but I try there... to use them last. Okay. All right, that sounds good. Is um, there some? Was there something you're gonna ask? No. Well, okay. I was, but I think that it. I think we we got it. So I'm not. I think we're good. Um, number six. Okay. The next one is um, to keep it old school. So that I do things I say kind of 50s style. Less is more, in my opinion. The less you do, the better it is. I don't use potty chairs. I don't use toilets that sing. I try not to use anything with the character on it. Um, because kids with disabilities tend to want what's familiar. And so if they're familiar using the pink potty chair that has the Disney princess on it, when that breaks or something happens to it or it gets left on a camping trip, now I can't find that anymore because they don't make it. You know, it, it's that much harder to reteach the skill on something new. So I just try to use just regular stuff. Um, the same with um, pull-ups. I, I do not recommend, once you've decided to start potty training, that's something I ditch. Um, and I do, I do believe in teaching nighttime at the same time as daytime. So I say bye-bye <laughs> um, to the portable toilets um, because most of our kids are smart enough to know and they will, they will wait until the pull-up's on, they will wait for bedtime, they will wait for nap time till they get that pull up and they will withhold and so that they could go in something that's comfortable and familiar to them because that's what they've been doing all these years. So, so um, they're super smart. Yeah, they are absolutely. They are of course, they're your children. <laughs> um, so um, less is more too. And I know this probably isn't a popular um, statement, but I'm not a big one for books either. I feel like the books are very wordy. Children with disabilities sometimes have a hard time processing all that language. A lot of the kids I work with have some significant anxiety issues. And I feel like the language and the verbiage is just sometimes just too much. Knowing where the food goes in and how it goes through your body and when it's about to come out. And sometimes it's just too much information for them um, to be thinking about. It's just something that we do. That's, I just try to keep it that simple. Less is more. Poop and peep go in the toilet. That's it. I don't need to tell them how their body works and how uh, it's, uh, it's just sometimes way too much information. So I just use this, the visuals that are just super simple and go through the steps of toileting, um, not why you need to toilet. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it totally does. <laughs> um, okay, number seven might be on eight. I could be wrong. Oh, um, right. the, <laughs> I could be wrong. Um, the other one is, um, I call it keeping a clean routine. And by that, um, I mean, don't muddy the water with off-task behaviors. So when I think about keeping it old school, or I think about using that potty chair and kids like that things the same way. Um, an example is I have, many kids will do this. They will undress completely to sit on the toilet. And 
that muddies my routine. That's not in my visual checklist. I don't say take off all your clothes. Um, I actually this year had a high school student that's still undressed completely in um, and did so in the high school bathroom with the general education students. And it, it was a disastrous ending, unfortunately. And um, it's a very hard skill to unteach. So when you, this, those are the muddy things. So I'll say, well, it's okay while they're three, it may not be okay at the prom, right? So really start teaching that from the beginning, like, no, nope. and it doesn't have to be forceful. It just has to be redirected. No, nope. keep them here. You know, pants stay on, those kinds of things. Um, it'll be so much easier than teaching your child when they're, when they're older. My heart's so sad for that kiddo. I know. I know. Yeah. Very hard. I know. What do you, well, okay. Well, I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to let you finish your top 10 and then I'm going to ask you. Sure, for sure, sure. Okay. So, um, yeah. The next one would be, um, I just call it the five minute sit limit. Don't let your child sit any longer than five minutes. Research shows us that within the first minute or so, if you're going to have a bowel movement, that's when it's going to happen. If you're sitting any longer than five, it just kind of encourages straining, which we know is not going to help relax the pelvic floor muscles, which is what you need to have a bowel movement. And um, it also kind of teaches sitting any longer than that. They kind of forget why they're there. Um, am I here to hold my iPad and look through a book and, uh, you know, talk to my mom like I don't understand really why I'm here so since we know if they're there to poop we know it's about it's probably going to happen within the first minute or so of sitting and if it didn't happen within five you're done like you know and I would just say try later instead of this you're on the spotlight our kids get stage fright because you're looking at them and expecting this behavior to happen and that doesn't make things easier. <laughs> Sometimes I'll, I'll encourage my, fam my parents to um, look away or look down or turn your head or busy yourself in the bathroom with something else. Pretend you're folding washcloths or towels or something um, just to give them that privacy. So no longer than five minutes, that's another one. Um, and then my last, my last tip is just to embrace the mistakes. Um, an expert at anything was once a beginner. Everyone, we've all been beginners at one point and independence is our goal and we can't expect someone to be independent um, without making mistakes. So I wouldn't ask my child to start writing his name without first teaching him shapes and the letters and how to hold your pencil and lots of scribbly lines, you know, in between. I, same thing with riding a bike. I wouldn't just throw my kiddo on a bike and expect them to ride with me down the bike path. Um, mistakes are hard, um, but every mistake is a learning opportunity. And I really stress this when we're talking about um, hold, holding your bladder. A lot of times we overprompt our child. We're, we don't want them to have an accident. This, for some reason, potty training is the one of those skills that we want 100% accuracy from our children. Um, <laughs> And so we overprompt them so that they don't have this accident on the floor and ruin my carpet or my floor, whatever it is. So we're taking them all the time. But what happens then is that they never learn that interoception that 
inner sense of what does a full bladder feel like? <coughs> Excuse me. And when a full bladder, you have to have a big accident, like, whoa, I waited too long. <laughs> and that's what that feels like. And now next time when I feel that feeling, I know what might be my result. And so I'm going to get there faster um, the next time. So we do have to have some of those mistakes in order to see growth and think of each one as a learning opportunity and embrace them and you'll get there. That's tricky for me. Um, I need to work on that one as well. <laughs> All of these I need to work on. Um, okay. Well, I want to go back to the undressing thing. Are there clothes or different things that you recommend in helping our kids kind of learn that skill of you don't strip down every, everywhere you go and just to go potty? Um, so for that particular skill, I use visuals and I always, I basically use like a social story. Um, the one that I use looks a little bit different than this, but this is a, a simplest form. So it goes through the steps. Um, so it's, it's time to use the bathroom. We're going to go in the door. We're going to pull our pants down. And usually I'll have, um, one that says stop. I'll put like a stop sign here. Um, or I have a picture where it just shows it and it says, you know, the, the pants, it's a more, um, a real life picture, not a still. And, um, so that they know stop and sometimes we'll even hold up a stop sign or whatever it is, but we practice that. Um, you can even practice when you're teaching a new skill. I always don't practice it in, in the area that it's the hardest to demonstrate that skill. So if your child is really struggling with undressing and wanting to take all of his clothes off, I would practice that in different, in so many different ways. Um, so you could do costumes or dress up um, and practice like taking off your costume and then I'm gonna hold up the stop sign, stop, and you can make it a game, go, stop, go, you know, that kind of thing. Or um, pulling down pants. There's so many different ways you could practice pulling down pants with, with um, fun dress up kinds of stuff. You know, I'll make elastic bands with bells on them or ribbons or whatever, and they can practice pulling up and down that ribbon band, um, that elastic band, so they can get that feeling. Um, and, and then you practice and transfer that skill into the bathroom where it's the hardest to perform because when I feel like I'm going to have an accident and, you know, I might need a little bit more help in the bathroom, that might be not the best time to practice. Um, always teach a new skill in a less threatening environment, I feel. Um, and then once they kind of get so it, and yeah, and once they get it, it's in a fun way, then you could kind of play that game in the bathroom and be like, stop, go, you know, or whatever. Um, because laughing usually relaxes the pelvic floor. So if you get some laughing going, that, that's great. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay. Can I ask one more question? And this is really just personal for... Of course. It's just, just pertaining to my children, really. Um, so our, our three buddies all have a really hard time sleeping and staying asleep at night. Mm -hmm. And so they have medicine that helps them do that. And that medicine knocks them out so that they stay mm -hmm. in bed and don't escape the house. And yep. like, we need that for their safety. Right. But it also has, I'm like, I'm not even going to try to potty train them at night because they're so asleep. A and then B Anytime that we've tried to do that, they just pee everywhere and everything is soaked. And it's, it's kind of like, a, okay, I'm daily washing sheets or what is your encouragement or tips and tricks about 
like eventually will their will their bodies kind of grow into that or um some of the nighttime sleeping and the nighttime pattern is hormonal that part is true but i found that um if constipation is taken care of that that sometimes will just resolve on its own yeah so it's um, just the nighttime wedding you have a little bit mm -hmm. so if the constipation during the day is resolved or in general mm -hmm. it will help the pressure on the bladder at nighttime because if your child's very constipated and it's pushing on the bladder then you you might have a lot of leaking especially if your child is medicated for sleep those muscles are so relaxed that they're not, they don't even have that unconscious control yeah even so um the other thing is i really try and i don't know if you have um be an hour before bed i would limit um fluid intake yes um and sometimes and i don't know it, this is we do something i call like a um a pajama pee <laughs> so while they're in their pajamas before you go to bed Try taking them to the bathroom one more time okay yeah. um to keep the, to to see if um i do have data logs and there's lots of things um that i've actually you you know if you reach out i can help you with that um but i feel like um to really every child's different so i would imagine between all of them <laughs> very they each have a little something different going on um but it's hard because you're trying to battle what the medication is doing Oh, Kristen, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all oh, of you. I'm grateful for you. I appreciate you reaching out to me and hopefully I was able to offer some tips yes. that people could really use. Yes, for sure. 